We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about our relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Well, welcome. I'm Leslie Vernick here with Debbie Laser, licensed marriage and family therapist who also was herself personally involved in recovery with her husband, Mark, for over 30 years. After Mark died in 2019, Debbie became the director of their counseling center, Faithful and True, which treats men struggling with sexual addiction as well as their spouses. Debbie has facilitated therapy groups, individual counseling, and intensives for trade wives for over 20 years. She's the author of From Trauma to Transformation, Shattered Vows, and she also wrote a book with her husband, Mark, Seven Desires, and a toolkit for growth. Debbie is passionate about post-traumatic growth for women who have been relationally betrayed. Debbie, I am so grateful. I've known your husband, Mark, for years and you, mm -hmm. less years, but still a lot of years uh, through our <laughs> yes. work together as counselors and therapists in the group of traumatized women in betrayal trauma. And I just so appreciate your willingness to join us. And I'd love if you could just share a little bit about your own story. I remember Mark sharing the very first seminar I went with Mark to learn about sexual addiction. I don't know if you know this story. He probably called you and told you, but this was in Elmhurst back, back in the day, <laughs> many years ago, we were at a hotel and there was a nude picture like straight on the back wall where he was presenting. Oh, and no. he said, I can't do this. I have to call the hotel and have them take down this picture. And that was such a, that was yeah. such a, like an amazing moment of integrity. Uh, mm -hmm. that he was aware that that would be a temptation or a distraction or whatever it was for him. Um, and he had the hotel come and take down that picture and take it somewhere else so he could do his seminar. But um, I so appreciate when you started joining him in the ministry. So tell us a little bit about yes. the struggle back, you know, what, 30 years ago when there was no help for yes. this. Well, it was a long time ago, Leslie, actually 35 years ago, as I was thinking about it, and it was at um, about the 15th year of our marriage. So um, with uh, four years of dating and being engaged, I felt like I knew Mark really well at that point. We had three small children. And one day, two of his Christian colleagues from the health center where he worked brought him home to me unannounced um, to tell me some things they wanted to make sure that he uh, was honest about. So they just came knocking at the door, walked in, and um, I was home with our littlest one. And I could tell something very big was coming down because the environment was very dark. Um, so they all sat down in my living room and um, they began to tell me in a matter of about three to five minutes, I guess, that uh, Mark had done some awful things. They named him as a sexual pervert. They had fired him from his job. And, and then they asked me literally if I had any questions. <laughs> and so I think at that point, I was already in shock to be honest, I couldn't figure out what was going on. This was not representative of the person I knew. And so I probably had a million questions, but I just wanted them out of my house. And I said, no. So uh, they left and Mark and I were sitting there across from each other in our living room. He was just slumped over ashen white. And I don't, I, I do believe it was the Holy Spirit that led me over to him to put my hand on his shoulder and just say, Mark, I, I don't know what's going on here, but I just want to commit to working with you on figuring this out. Um, you know, most betrayed women, when they first discover something, aren't responding that way. And I'm not taking credit for that at all. 
but I do believe it was one of the first steps where we began to see God very present in our journey, which led clearly to our working in this field together eventually. But somewhere in that firing for Mark from the center he was working at, there was a recovering alcoholic uh, doctor who was an alcoholic. And he came up to Mark and said, you know, I, I think your issues with sexuality, Mark, are not that different than mine with alcohol. And I'm committed to finding you help. And help he found. And within three days, Mark was off to the inpatient treatment program that Dr. Patrick Carnes, the founder of our field, had opened here in the Minneapolis area, which is where we li I live today. Um, so Mark was there. And to be honest, it was a relief to know he was going somewhere for help. However, I was home for the next 30 days with our three small children, with a, a spouse who was fired. I was basically an at-home mom. And so it was terrifying when I think of those first few weeks. I was also blaming myself quietly, silently uh, for something I probably was not enough of, which led to this. And so that was a very painful time for me to live with all those beliefs. Thankfully, the treatment center had a family program. And within a few weeks, I was off to spend the week at the Golden Valley Health Center, which by the way, is no longer there. It was a wonderful experience for me because I had never been in counseling myself. I had never really faced anything traumatic, to be honest. And here, both of us were just surrounded with all kinds of help, groups that Mark was a part of, counseling, psychiatry. And so I got, got to be a part of that. And I say that that way today. I didn't have to be, um, but I did go. And it was really my first introduction to what all happens when you get help. And um, it was also a week that led Mark and I to be talking about things we had never talked about before. And I could already feel the vulnerability and the closeness we were experiencing, even over such traumatic things. I think also the great thing that happened for me there was I was educated about addiction. And so I began that path of believing in my head, at least, that it wasn't about me. Of course, those things take a while to move to your heart. Uh, and it was extremely helpful to hear what was true and what was causing addiction in someone and the, the pain that was driving those things. So fast forward, we got some amazing help when he left. We were both signed up by uh, the treatment center for our counseling sessions in our hometown. And I was thinking at the time, uh, why are you signing me up for this? Like, he's your guy. He's the problem. He has the problem. Um, but, you know, they wisely knew that we would both benefit if we both went to counseling and groups. Uh, I went to my own therapy group right away. And I have to say, we were working with a most amazing therapist who was trained by Virginia Satir. And uh, listeners may not know who she is, but just a pioneer in family systems in the last century. And we had the privilege of working with one of her protégés. So help came fast and it was very intense for quite some time. And I would have to say that's what led Mark to Mark, Mark to a quick recovery himself of sobriety and also the two of us to begin to be able to talk about hard things, set up new boundaries in our relationship and feel like we were moving forward to some new life. <laughs> So that's kind of a short story of the beginning, Leslie. I don't know. I can go on and on about my story, but um. yeah, Debbie, <laughs> I, I'm just a woman who's thinking I'm listening as a, a, a one of our audience members who may be in your shoes right now. And certainly there's more talk about this 
today and more help today. Mm -hmm. But did you tell your girlfriends? Did you tell your family? Did you, this is such a shameful Mm -hmm. secret for him and for you. What did you do that long ago when there wasn't the conversation that maybe is more available now about this? It is interesting about how the shame covers everybody. And even some of what I learned about myself is why would I have shame when it's someone else's behavior? And that in and of itself is a great therapeutic question to work on when you're in counseling. Uh, I did have that. We had what Mark and I began to call couple shame which was, uh, we must be the worst couple in the world because people were not talking about the struggle. Thankfully, I had a best friend and she, she and I shared a lot of time together. We both had three children about the same ages and our families were very close. So I was able to talk with her and her husband um, who was also an attorney and they, they were very helpful on the front end. I also talked with my parents who loved Mark and I was fairly sure their response would be loving, and it was, which is not always the case for people when they go to their families. At the time, I I really don't remember at what point Mark's parents began to know, but it was fairly early on in the process too. I would say and have said to women I work with today that oftentimes family are not the best people to be the only helpful people in this process because they're so invested in your well-being that they might start giving you advice very quickly about what to do or to leave or whatever. And that's understandable. You know, I'm, I'm like that with my kids. I become a mama bear and I want to only focus on my children. Uh, and what's true is with counseling that came right away from professionals that did know how to treat sexual addiction and a best friend and my early group experience, I began to form very new friendships of people who got this because they were also struggling. So it was a very ideal situation for me to be uh, surrounded, embraced by community that was really safe, I would say, and that they also knew the struggle of this and they knew what it was like to spread news about your story. So they didn't do that either, nor did I and to have a therapist who knew about sexual addiction. I often think that, you know, he has a problem. He's the addict. He's the sexual addict, but you have a problem too, in that you've been traumatized, you you know, in betrayal Mm -hmm. trauma, everything that you thought was true about him gets shattered in a moment of revelation. And then everything that you thought was true of your marriage gets Mm -hmm. questioned. And so you have your own work to do and you're, and you have been traumatized because no longer can you trust this person, not only to be sexually faithful, but just to be who you thought he was. You don't know Mm -hmm. who he is and maybe he doesn't know who he is. And so there's a lot of different treatment needs. There's this personal treatment need that Mark has. There's support and help for you as a traumatized victim of what he's experiencing and doing in the marriage. And then there's the marriage. Can the marriage ever Mm -hmm. be put back together again? What is the focus at your counseling center with all of this faithful and true? Mm -hmm. Well, I know we're going to get to, into this eventually, but our focus is to, to work um, ideally on the front end with the trauma, which leads one to very practical steps to help someone when they're in that place. Uh, we must not skip over that place because it is real, and it's often leading to very physical problems for a person. Uh, when I work with women, sometimes those show up as 
especially sleep issues, anxiety issues. Um, oftentimes there are other physical symptoms that have been there for a while living with the lies that she has been living with. And that was certainly true for me. So a lot of times um, the practical steps are, are often medical in a way or getting help for how to sleep and how to reduce that anxiety and how to at least eat a little bit that in a way would be helpful for you because we start using you know, even food as a way of coping. And in some ways, if we're not mindful of some of that, it just exacerbates our problems and how we're feeling. So I wanna do an assessment about all of those things, uh, help her figure out what other help she might need. Uh, sleep deprivation is one of the worst things we can deal with when we're trying to work through something hard. So it's, in my opinion, it's absolutely essential to figure out how to sleep. And if you need medical help to do that or naturopathic solutions, there are lots of ways that we can work on that. So those are some of the places we start. And also because of all of our groups that we have at Faithful and True, we help people build up that community very uh, early on so that they too are surrounded with some other women who are walking this journey and they don't feel so alone. That is such an important part of this journey is to help her come out of this isolated place. You know, as Mark always said, for men struggling with addiction, um, silence and isolation are the worst enemies of getting well. And the exact same thing is true for women, which is one of the reasons we do want to get help. We need other people around us and we need to come out of that place of silence because we, we only know what we know. And if we keep telling ourselves our belief systems about things like I'll never be able to trust him again, or he's ruined my life, or he's never going to change, or what, you know, we're telling ourselves many, many things that are about our belief systems at that time. And those belief systems most likely are not correct. If we don't get help with that, we will forever stay in a devastated place, I believe. And so taking care of symptoms is important. We've always known that when people are in pain, we're a, we're a society that knows how to take care of pain. We have lots of ways of helping that. And we also wanna take a look at what our belief systems are because belief systems are really what cause the pain in anyone. Mm -hmm. And the more belief systems are distorted or inaccurate, the more pain we feel. And that's why I think counseling is such an important part of this journey with someone who does know the truth or has walked this journey herself or himself so that belief systems can also be evaluated and updated as you go along. Yeah, there's a lot of self-examination and work that needs to be done. This is a crisis, a crisis mm -hmm. physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally yeah. and crises are hard to to walk through and so i love two things that you said that are really really important is that you have to understand that your body plays a big role because when you've been traumatized you're deregulated you, you you're not yourself inside and so you mm -hmm. can't relax you can't think right you can't yeah. sleep right you're not eating right and so those things need to come back into some sort of balance or some sort of at least beginnings of healing so that you can do the rest of the work. And so really, mm -hmm. I just heard a, another person say this, and I loved it. It said sleep, exercise and good food is medicine. Mm -hmm. When you're going through trauma, 
that that is so important for you to give yourself good medicine. Cause oftentimes we rely sometimes on unhealthy medicine, like alcohol or toxic drugs or other things to kind of let yes. us relax when in fact, that's going to cause more harm in the long run. Right. Right. But here's the paradox. I think Leslie is when you're in pain, uh, just doing those things because we know that they are medicine and they're good for us is also something we don't do. You know, it's like scripture, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't do, that's what I do. And unfortunately, that's why it's so important to get community around you. Because for a lot of us, we need accountability to change some of those things that are good for us. Just like our husbands, if we're talking about betrayal, trauma, need accountability to change things in their life too. So in some ways, we're walking a lot of the same kind of journey. Um, it's just different behaviors. So I, you know, I might need help with a friend that says, hey, come on, walk with me, will you? Because the truth is when I'm in pain, I just want to sit on the couch perhaps and watch another good movie. So trying to make ourselves do things when we're in pain and we're traumatized is a very difficult thing. So uh, I love that you companionship said that. is so important. Yeah, and community. We have, you know, a large community for our women as well. And a lot of yes. our populations overlap because sometimes mm -hmm. the addict is not only addicted to sex, but they're also very destructive and abusive in other ways. And so yes. community of affirmation and accountability and you know, it's so helpful as a woman to I'm meet sorry. another woman who's taken a few steps ahead of you. Yes. Because she yes. can give you hope that, okay, you were here three months ago, or you were here eight months ago, and now you're here. It's like weight mm -hmm. loss. You know, when you say, oh my gosh, how'd you lose those 20 pounds? You know, it encouraged us to say, all right, if you can do it, I can do it. And so having those women who are walking the same path and have gotten a little further than you. Um, is extremely helpful. And then as you begin to make progress, helping women who are a little bit behind you to make that step forward is mm -hmm. just such an empowering experience because my pain is not wasted. I can help another mm -hmm. woman. I know what this feels like. Come, mm -hmm. let me help you. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I love about our um, groups that we lead for women is they're ongoing. So it's not just like a 12 week program where you start and finish all at the same time. And because they're ongoing, we have women who have been in a group, say a year or two, or sometimes even more because she loves what she's learning for herself. And then we have new people that come. So like you're saying, it's very evident how they're looking versus how I'm feeling perhaps when I'm that new person. And um, it's delightful. And as you say, the people moving along start realizing how much wisdom they have and how much things have changed for them as they are there supporting the newer people. So I love that idea of having people at all stages kind of gather in a group together with some professional leadership. Mm -hmm. Now you just wrote a new book, Trauma to Transformation. And mm -hmm. during breakdown, when disclosure happens, when you know, you're shocked by the two friends bringing Mark home, and you know, we talk a lot about trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder, betrayal trauma. Um, but how did you start getting interested and passionate about post-traumatic growth? What is it and how is it different? Well, first of all, um, my story and Mark's and my journey eventually led me to go back to graduate school to get my own degree in counseling. So I had not always been a therapist. Um, I went back to graduate school and part of that was working on my own thesis um, for graduation. When I began thinking about my own life, and I always knew this, is that I had grown and changed so much in this journey. 
So while it's true that Mark worked on his journey of being sober and then also about things that changed him as a person, spiritually and emotionally, I realized that I was changing things too with the help of my group and my therapist. And so I love that about the fact that, um, you know, sex addiction was a problem, but it wasn't the problem. There, I mean, what I'm saying is all pain in my life was not created just because of Mark's issue. And I think when I began to understand that and we began to work on other issues in our relationship and patterns, because it, it was true that we had a lot of things that were very good in our life and always were right from the beginning. Our whole life was not a deception. Uh, but as I began to work on things too, I realized what a wonderful opportunity it had been to be in counseling early on, even though it was Mark's issue that brought me there. I'm not so sure I would have signed up for that. You know, I mean, I, it's like my life was pretty good. And even though his life, you know, had all these secrets and issues, I figured in the beginning, if he got well from that, then I'd be well. But what I didn't realize is how much more there was for me to learn about me and how there were things I wanted to change about me. So when I got into graduate school and prepared to do my thesis, I ran into a lot of research called post-traumatic growth. And once I started reading that research, um, I knew I had come home, so to speak. I fell into a bucket of diamonds, as I said the other day on an interview, that I was so excited to find a name that described what my life had been and also what we're so reminded about in scripture. But it's kind of hard to take to heart, you know, love those trials you have because they're going to lead you to persevere and they're going to God's going to use them to grow you up and make you mature and not be incomplete in anything. It's like, well, what does all that mean? And practically, how is that going to lead me to be someone different? Uh, when I ran into the clinical aspect of scripture and my own life story, I knew these were all coming together to be something really amazing in my life. So I researched that. I did my thesis on post-dramatic growth, and I went on after graduate school to do my own research specifically for women who had been relationally betrayed to find out whether it was true that there could be positive life changes because of our struggle with a traumatic event in our life. That's a wonderful, hopeful thing to know that God won't waste our pain. And if we really want to do move from just surviving and getting through something hard, and building up enough boundaries and walls so we don't ever have to feel that again. I believe what we will miss is that beautiful opportunity of post-traumatic growth saying, you know what, there's more than just getting through this. God will use this to teach you some new things about yourself, about others, and about the world. And so that's how I got into it, Leslie, and it has just been my theme ever since that the ampersand, so to speak, or the both and is what's really true for me, scripture, and I think post-traumatic growth, we can experience trauma and we can also experience transformation. They both exist. And we don't have to negate one in order to experience the other. And it doesn't mean that I'll ever be grateful for having had a spouse who struggled with sex addiction. And I am really grateful for where it took me and who I've become because of that. I love that you did that and because I was about to ask you a question and I'm going to ask you anyway, but you sort of answered it for our listeners. So many women get some sort of 
placating Christian ease, like, oh, God will work this out for your good, or, you know, all things work mm-hmm. together for your good, or, you know, just pray about it, or, you know, it's this kind of band-aid so that you don't feel your pain. Stop feeling your pain because put your hope in God. And it's not either or. I mean, Jesus felt his pain. He fully Mm -hmm. felt his pain when he was going to go to the cross and he Mm -hmm. fully trusted God. And I think Mm -hmm. it's both and. And so we don't want to negate the, I would never sign up for this. I hate this. This is hard. This is messy. I'm not sleeping. I can't eat. I don't know what to do with my body. I don't know what to do with my mind. It's going crazy. And if you do your work, you will be transformed into a different, better, stronger Mm -hmm. person. Yeah. And I like what you just said there, though, Leslie, is there is work to be done. And uh, what came out of the research is resources were needed in order for this change to happen. It wasn't just a matter of sitting there and praying enough and waiting for God to do this work in you. Um, Accessing good resources is what leads eventually to change. And I think that's also scripturally based. You know, God asks us to participate. We aren't supposed to just be a passive person in this whole process. So one of those things is about community and finding community. Another is about living in truth, which is why one of our our huge um, pieces of our program and working with couples is leading them through full disclosure. We need to know what is the truth so that we know what we're signing up for, so to speak, when we move into the future. And also our pain when we listen carefully to it and instead of trying to push it away, allow it to speak to us about what we need. And I believe that's where the Holy Spirit is working through us on a regular basis every day of our life because we do get hunches and gut feelings and red flags about things that really are about what is my next right step? Not how can I solve the future? How could I ever trust in him again? How can whatever... But it helps us to know what can I do today that's about me finding some peace and maybe even a little joy in my day today that's authentic. So those become steps that I also help women with is what does that mean when your peace is disturbed? How will you go after finding what that next right step is for you and make it spiritual in your life, really believing and experiencing how God is in you? And we'll direct that path. And I think for even a lot of Christians I work with, they they haven't really known how to do that in their life. And so it's a pleasure to watch people gain confidence in how the spirit is really working with them and with them every moment of their life. You know, I was just at a retreat this weekend with Lisa Turkhurst um, on a healing <laughs> intensive with women. We talked a lot about this next right step. And often um, this is a tool that I give women to use when they're um, in the midst of that, I'm afraid to make the next wrong step. And so somehow they have to have a crystal ball or God write it on the wall for me Mm -hmm. to know what to do. And I say, you know, often if you put your hand on your heart, your right hand on your heart, and you put your left hand on your belly or vice versa, it doesn't matter which hand. Sometimes they agree, like your feelings agree with your belly, but sometimes they don't agree. Like I feel afraid, but I know I need to do this. Mm-hmm. And this is where, this is where sometimes we let fear decide. We let our emotions decide what our next right step will be. So we're afraid, so we're not going to do it. But our belly knows the right step. 
God gives us that wisdom in the moment. He doesn't give us the clear map for the whole destination, but he says in his word, I will instruct you and guide you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And if we're asking him, he promises us, us that he will tell us the next right step. And just doing that exercise, you sort of know, maybe mm-hmm. the next right step is to ask him a question. Like, have you been watching porn lately? Or ask him a question. You know, are you been reading your Bible? Or did you put controls on the computer? Or maybe ask him a question of, you know, does I, how I feel about this matter to you in full disclosure? Like, I don't want to hear your pain. Mm-hmm. Does how I feel matter to you? And that might just be a simple question. And their answer tells you a lot about your next right step. Well, it's true. There are a lot of ways of listening to that. And I know I'm a huge advocate of listening to our emotions, actually. I know you are, you're coming at it from more of an intellectual place. But I do believe our feelings tell us a lot about um, what we need. And if we do listen to those, of course, we can uh, interact with our mind and we don't always have to do exactly what our feelings say. But many, many times they, they are very wise in leading us to a next right step. So anyway, I talk more in length about that in my book, and we work on that pretty regularly here in our counseling and in our groups. So um, however we can help people look at that, I think one of the things that's hardest for most of us is that future tripping, as we call it you know, trying to figure out what next week or next month or next year is going to look like based on what I know today. And uh, we are certainly led away from trying to live that kind of life. You know, God calls us into being present today and trusting him just for today. And so learning how to do that leads to a lot more joy, I believe, a lot more progress um, feeling like um, you are participating in, in the journey and you're not just sitting there waiting um, and listening for others to give you advice or, you know, something like that. And I also believe that it's slowing down our life, which interestingly enough, pain has a way of doing that if we will allow it to do what it does. I know most women who don't feel like cooking. They don't feel like going to the meetings they've signed up for or volunteering in the way they have. I've had women who have left their work so that they can pay attention to the need to slow down. And I believe it's in that slowing down is where we hear more clearly the whispers of the spirit trying to lead us places. So again, that's a change for a lot of women. Yeah. I think we are just so busy that we're not listening both yeah. to the Lord. We're not listening to ourselves. We're not even paying attention to our feelings. And I think our feelings mm-hmm. are informants. They're mm-hmm. great informants. Mm-hmm. We have to know what we feel. So what might be some tools that you, you wrote a book, I think with Mark on a toolkit, um, but what yes. might be some tools that you would give a woman to begin this process of mm-hmm. listening? slowing Mm -hmm. down and paying attention and knowing what she feels Mm -hmm. and what's going on in her body and what she needs. Because I think that feeling like I'm, I'm scared. I need safety. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm really knowing what I need and how to put those things together. Right. Well, our toolkit for growth is um, both for individuals and couples. A lot of it is about Um, interventions that Mark and I have used here as we've worked with couples and our whole whole team does as well. I think about full disclosure as one of those. And I mentioned that one of the resources to really finding growth in the pain is to live in the truth. 
Um, we have a process that we've created over many, many years. So we've tweaked it a lot and it's been very effective. Um, and we use that, we talk about that in one of the chapters in that book. What, what does it mean to have someone offer you information, not you asking a lot of questions to find out? And so it's a lengthy process of creating a timeline for the person who has struggled with addiction and from birth really to the present, not just during a marriage period of time, but their entire life, talking about how how this uh, coping with sexual acting out developed, what happened early on in your life, how did that start to medicate something else that was traumatic in your life, and how did that association start developing even through dating and other things, pornography and pornography and masturbation that were entering your life as well, no doubt. Watching that progression is one of the ways that can help a wife eventually also see that it continued to progress through marriage. And so that makes sense that that's what an addiction does. Um, all of that information helps a wife know more clearly what is going on inside of her husband, the pain as well as the sin that's happened. And I think those are all important pieces for them to move forward as a couple. We talk about that. We talk about abstinence in the coupleship, uh, why we do what we do, why that we recommend that it be a 90-day um, commitment on both people's part. I think there are a lot of uh, ways that just like anyone with an addiction needs to detoxify themselves from that substance or behavior. It's true about sexual addiction as well. Um, there's also a need in our opinion to build the emotional and spiritual connection that perhaps a couple has focused on by just using sex as a way to connect. Uh, interestingly enough, when we first meet someone, and we have that you know, high intensity to connect with each other, it's very easy to get into the physical aspect of that first, which I think in a way leads couples to depend on sexuality to be that piece to create connection. We wanna reverse that for them as they're working with us and create more of that emotional and spiritual connection. So anyway, that's a chapter. There's chapters on vision on how to be a safe person in all of your relationships, so it's not just with your spouse. And I happen to believe that none of us are squeaky clean safe. You know, you work so much with that, Leslie, in emotional abusive relationships, but I, I don't know that any of us on this side of heaven are done doing that work. We can all work on how to be safer in our relationships. So once again, if we leave that just to our spouses to do their work on that, but we don't do our work, we miss the opportunity again of growing closer. If we're gonna get real close with someone, we gotta be safe because if we're not safe, we don't wanna get in there with them. And it takes two people doing that. So lots of real practical chapters. But my, really my latest book is about working on all of those things regardless of the trauma. One of the great work, the work of the two psychologists, Tadeshi and Calhoun, who named post-traumatic growth way back in 1996, was uh, that it was not just for sexual acting out in a marriage, it was for everything from childhood sexual abuse to natural disasters, to losing loved ones, to wartime effects. Um, they did research on all of these traumatic events and again, found really the same results that with resources, that one was able to move eventually, and I use the word eventually, 
to something good and growing and more positive in their life, finding meaning, in other words, in the trauma. So um, all that to say, my new book talks a lot about that whole journey right from the beginning of taking time to exercise, eat and sleep, as you were saying, all the way through the other little steps that can slowly, slowly lead us to become authentic ourselves and keep asking God, what would you have me learn instead of why me, which is really more of that question of being victimized by something and, you know, just being really bitter and sad. Um, If we turn it around to keep asking God, what do you want me to learn um, in this day or in this circumstance that eventually will be helpful to me for my own sanctification. So that's really the theory of that whole book. And as you know, and mentioned with Mark's passing a few years ago, it was really the most traumatic event of my whole life. So while, you know, we walked through that earlier traumatic event, um, you know, there have been many others with children and their decisions and other things. It hasn't been the only two in my life, but what I found is all the things I learned Um, from that first really traumatic event were so helpful in this most traumatic event in my life three years ago. And it doesn't mean that it hasn't still been extremely hard. And I hold the hope though of how this process, when it has worked well, and the question of constantly asking God what he will have me learn, even in this season of my life, is giving me a lot of hope and calm, peace, and joy in every day, even though it's a different kind of joy than that that I experienced with Mark. So that's my hope for women as I lead them on this journey too, that it will help them with whatever their traumas are, whatever those troubles are, as you said in the beginning, we're all gonna have them. So it's wonderful to have some hope as we move through them. Hope and companions and some wisdom and advice. I think that can be because sometimes you feel so alone, so lost, And even though you, like you said, you know, the words in the Bible, the practical Mm -hmm. application um, of how to do that um, escapes us, especially Mm -hmm. in the midst of trauma. And so having trusted wise others come to us and walk with us through that Mm -hmm. um, is really essential. And that's God's desire for community and growth. It's not that we're supposed to do this all by ourselves. And so if there's anyone out there listening today and you're going through a trauma. It might be a betrayal trauma. It might be a different kind of trauma, a health trauma, mm-hmm. you know, or a disappointment with your adult child. It might be your marriage has ended um, lots of different big, big rocks in our life that can yes. cause heartache and cause us to get stuck in our own growth and development. And so I hope that um, you really are encouraged that God doesn't want you to stay stuck. I think of Joseph and the end of his story you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But he had a lot of tears and a lot of heartache along that way. And Esther traumatized, captured into sex slavery and put into the king's harem. I mean, that's pretty traumatic. And yet she grew through that and she grew strong and changed history because of her bravery. And so there's lots of illustrations of people in the Bible, women who weren't just bowled over by fear, by trauma, by something bad happening, by a bad husband. We think of Abigail and her husband, Nabal, and he had made a stupid decision and she had to get strong and face David when he was threatening to kill them all. Mm -hmm. And so these are really great biblical examples of women who 
did the work that they needed to do to take the next right step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the Laser Legacy Foundation before we go. Well, um, I've had the privilege of um, thinking through with Mark's loss, all the many, many people have come to me and have been so appreciative of his work in their life or our work in their marriages or uh, whatever it looked like. And um, it made me think about something that I wanted to do um, to just uh, share the legacy as we move forward of what is it that we were able to provide for people that maybe is different than than others. And and I think there are some of those. Some of that is the hope of post-traumatic growth, I believe, is taking this beyond whatever the behavior or trauma is that's hitting our life, that um, God will use it for good in our life. And so I decided, because our counseling center is a for-profit counseling center, a lot of times we're not able to help all of those who we would love to help because the truth is we need to open our doors and hire help for administration and all those things you do to have a counseling center. Um, but the thought occurred to me that if I created a nonprofit organization, that then there might be people who have been grateful for our work or whatever, who would like to donate to that, knowing that we're gonna use those funds to partially scholarship people into those resources that we believe they need to get well when they're working through sexual addiction. And so it's been a pleasure to have, it's only been um, available since uh, about April, I think it was this past year. So it's fairly new, Um, but I get really excited and I I just feel Mark smiling down in terms of um, how he longed and I did too, to just be available to whoever came to our door to be able to help them in some way. So um, if there are people out there who would love to come to workshops, for instance, that we have and can't afford those, we would love for you to call and see if we can't um, partially scholarship you through that so that you can get here and get some really helpful, um, meaningful direction and resources for yourself. This is part of what I, I think was Mark's legacy is coming out of inpatient treatment, knowing we can't all go to inpatient treatment and especially today with no not much, I should say, support of insurance. Um, How can these short-term intensives that Mark developed many, many years ago help along with local help to really get you the resources you need to get well? So um, we'll look forward to how that will grow. And I'm sure there will be many things that we think about, but um, that that was really the instigation for starting that. I think that's so wonderful. Um, I think there's many people who would be very encouraged to know that they could apply for a scholarship and maybe get mm-hmm. the help that you're talking about. Yes. So where can, you're in Minnesota. Is yes, you, right outside of at? Minneapolis, right? Mm-hmm. And do you have any satellite offices anywhere else? No, we don't. Uh, it's just us here in Minneapolis. We've been asked many times to create satellite offices, but you know, uh, we we just feel the the need to work out of our main place and keep all of us together who are working here I guess one of the ways that we we put out there everything that we're doing is through our podcasts. Interestingly enough, Mark started podcasts back in 2012 um, before podcasts were even called podcasts. He always had a desire, I think, to be a radio broadcaster, to be honest. And um, so we created podcasts and we called them the the online radio show is what we called it. But anyway, we have many, many, many podcasts that Mark created originally uh, with Randy Everett, one of our folks here at Faithful and True. And after Mark's passing, Dr. Greg Miller, who's the director of our men's workshops, stepped into 
that role. He does an excellent job of hosting the show. So given all these years, we have over 400 podcasts of uh, all kinds of information that we teach when we're counseling or out speaking. It's a great way for people to get free information about what we do and how we help people heal. Well, thanks. We will put all that information in our show notes for those of you who are listening. Um, We just want to thank you so much, Debbie, for sharing your heart, sharing so vulnerably about your own history. And um, I think it just encourages us when we're more honest with one another that nobody has their act together all of the time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just because it looks like that on Instagram doesn't mean it's so. And to be able to really be honest with one another so that nobody feels that personal shame or relational shame of what's wrong with us. What's wrong with us is that we're beautiful, broken sinners. And that part of the beautiful part of it is that we can own that in humility, not shame and say, I need help. And once we do that, that's what distinguishes a healthy person from a destructive, unhealthy person, because those are the people who say, don't talk to me. I don't need help. You're crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that. And so all of us, have issues that may make us unsafe in relationships or make us feel bad about ourselves or do destructive things. But once we can see it and own it and join next to another person who can help us change it, that's God's plan for human beings. And so I'm so glad that you're doing the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast too, Leslie. It's lovely to partner with you. I love having you. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Go to our show notes for links to Debbie's website, her new book, and her podcast, Faithful and True. And please subscribe to this podcast so we can continue to help you grow in your relationships, relationships with God, with yourself, and with others.